Okay. There's a, we have a, I was talking to some of the folks in the church yesterday and they were on the topic of prophecy and talking about Jesus coming back and when Jesus is going to come back and um, are the times going on today, are they indicative of, of the Lord coming back soon? And um, a lot of people get really excited about that. And, and it is exciting to think about. It's really exciting to think about that Jesus is coming again. And I had to share with them that I've been, uh, for 40 some years now, every new major news story that's come along has been proof that Jesus has to be coming back really soon. I remember, I remember, um, Ronald Reagan had to be the Antichrist because there were six others in Ronald, six in Wilson, and six in Reagan. And that's 666, that meant Ronald Reagan had to be the Antichrist. Um, that was just one example of the stuff I went through. I remember a lot of very famous uh, preachers talking about the second coming of Christ, and they had it all figured out. Um, the barcode that we shopped when that first was introduced... That was that, that was the mark of the beast because they were going to make you wear that barcode eventually. Then when they started putting chips in credit cards, that was the mark of the beast. The magnetic strip on the back of your credit cards was the mark of the beast. And all these things have happened through the years. I've seen all kinds of, of, of prediction. Who was going to be Henry Kissinger? Was going to be the Antichrist? Um, it's a, funny how American churches always focus on Americans as being the Antichrist, isn't it? And when you read their books on prophecy, it was going to be an American. Anyway, so I had to tell this person I was talking to yesterday, I just really don't know. I don't know how these events tie in. I know where to look for the Lord's coming. Uh, and I said at the end of the day, and I'll say this honestly, I have my own view. Um, I hold to the traditional um, view that the next thing that happens in the church is going to be the rapture of the church. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation. And then Jesus is going to come back um, and uh, bring his church back and set up his millennial kingdom. And then after that's the new heaven and new earth. That's my personal view. But to be honest, my theology is not going to be destroyed if it doesn't happen exactly the way I think it did. I, I know one thing, and I know the th- same thing that St. Patrick said when he wrote his confession. I'm waiting for the soon returning of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I know Jesus is coming back. The last words that were penned in the New Testament was John writing, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And we can't deny that. And we can't lose sight of it. And I think we do... We're... we're, we're, we're um, performing a disservice to the church if we ignore that or don't make it a big deal that Jesus is coming. He could come any minute. He could come and rescue us right out of this coronavirus. It could happen. It could happen before this little service is over with and all of our campuses scattered across the world could be empty within a matter of, a matter of seconds because Jesus is coming back. But I want to I look at something this morning. I'm looking at a whole different perspective. and And so if Jesus is coming back. And he is, since Jesus is coming back. What are we supposed to do about it? And that's been a challenge to me. And I don't know when I first heard this this, this message or this concept. Um, you know, there's some things that... Well, let me, if you would, look at 1 Thessalonians. Well, I want you to go back to chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. We're going to see how far we get today. And the, we may do part 2 next week which is the application of part 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 13. Uh, man, when I was in Bible college, everybody was all about the second coming. That's when the, um, uh, what are the series of books called? 
Left Behind Behind books were all done. Uh, There are all kinds of books, movies made about the second coming. Amazing story. That was was the hype. And I remember those days well. And so this passage of scripture was one of the first ones I, I learned. I heard it preached on many times. But Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonica. And there was a lie going around that Jesus had already come. And they'd been left behind and they were stuck. And all kinds of crazy false doctrine crept into the early church. But starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he said, But I do not want you to be ignorant, ignorant brethren, concerning them which have fallen asleep. They didn't know what had happened to the dead, their brothers and sisters in Christ who had died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. He started to talk about the coming of Christ. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means prevent or precede those who are asleep or stop those who are asleep or get in the way of those who are asleep or dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. There's great comfort that Jesus is coming. And I believe it could happen any second. I don't think anything stands between today and the coming of Jesus Christ. First um, Corinthians or one Corinthians talks about how it'll, in an instant, in the, in the in the blink of an eye, we shall all be changed, and the Lord the Lord will descend. And so we have that to look forward to. Now, so what do we do about that? And the thing, one, what the thing we need to do, Paul. So a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about this antichrist and this symbol of the coming of Jesus and this is a sign of the end times and, and all the wars and the pestilences and the earthquakes and, and now that we have Facebook every incident in the possible is a sure indication that Jesus Christ is coming again but I want you to see what Paul wrote Paul wrote to the Thessalonians I found this fascinating about these times and yet we're told to look for the signs of his coming to watch for those to be alert be aware and why are we to be aware well what we the reason we're to be aware is what we're going to talk about this morning we're going to look at one little aspect of it but i'm giving you the background for why what we're supposed to do as we wait for the lord to come back Paul writes to the Thessalonians but concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that i should write to you did you get that Concerning the times and the seasons, you've got no need for me to write about that. Don't worry about that. Be concerned about the fact he can come back at any minute. For you yourselves, and here he goes on to say this, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon, upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brother, are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. Paul is saying here, as we see other places in Scripture, it's not necessarily going to happen at an expected time. And that goes with signs, and that's the whole reason we do this, is because we don't need to know the exact moment. Why do we not need to know the exact moment? Pretty obvious, isn't it? We'd only, do, we'd only live for Christ for the moment, if we knew he was coming back, we, oh my goodness, Jesus coming back on July the 1st. So June 28th, we'd start getting ready for Jesus to come back. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be our nature? Yeah. I remember my dad was in Vietnam. My dad spent three tours in Vietnam. And um, 
and mom took oh, did a wonderful job taking care of us while dad was away but all of a sudden we he he called us we thought he was in Vietnam and he he phoned us from the airport in Nashville which was then about a three hour drive from Huntsville he said I'm going to be home in about three hours all right, we knew he was coming in three hours. So my goodness, my mom had us busy scrubbing and wiping and sweeping and cleaning and dusting and getting everything done so the house was spotless when he came home. You know, that's what we would do, wouldn't it? If we had, if we we wouldn't worry about it. And my mom was never. Um, she had six kids, small house, but her house was never dirty. I mean, dirty for six kids, but never filthy. So there wasn't that much to do. But if we knew exactly when, our flesh would say, well, why bother doing all this work now? Just wait till he comes back. But you, brethren, are, he says, you, you're children of light. You're sons of the light and you're sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, here's what he says. He tells us some several instructions, starting in verse 6. And I'm going to look at three instructions today, but I want to read the, to get the context of what he says. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us be of the day. Let us, those who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. That's how I believe and I know that we're, that we're going to escape the wrath that God's going to pour out on earth, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Now here's what we do while we're waiting. That's a general introduction. So what do we do while we're waiting for the return of Jesus? What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be doing? Spending hours and hours trying to figure out every sign and wonder and everything that's happening around the world and tie every news event into the coming of Jesus. And I've been there and done that. Um, I remember when Gog and Magog had to be Russia. Um, all kinds of things. If you talk to anybody my age who's been saved a long time, they can tell you some of the tales about uh, everybody had this country figured out. Russia were the bad guys. They were the ones that are going to invade Israel. And anyway, but what are we supposed to do as we wait for Jesus to come back? I contend that we are supposed to do exactly what Paul tells the Thessalonians in the next few verses. I urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. All right? Respect your pastors. Respect your spiritual leaders. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren. Here's what else we do. We warn those who are on... We, we warn the unruly. When we see brothers and sisters erring, we take we warn them. We comfort the faint-hearted. Those who are weak are supposed to be comforting. Um faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with everybody. See that nobody renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Um, then he says these three things. He goes on later on, don't quench the spirit, don't despise teachings and prophecies, test everything, hold fast to that is good, abstain from every form of evil. But I want to look at three verses here. I want to get three things in three verses that I, that are an amazing challenge, but while we're waiting for Jesus come, to come, Paul says there are three things we're supposed to do in verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Those three things, and that is God's will. While we wait for Jesus to come back, we are to be always rejoicing, we are to be always praying, and we are to be always giving thanks. 
And I look at that and I wonder, is that my life? Am I living a life? And, and you may ask yourself the same question. Are you living a life where you are always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks? You say, well, Roger, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. All right? We don't know what each other trials we're going through. We're all going through trials. And yet, in the midst of all those trials, Paul writes to the church that while you're waiting for Jesus to come back, we don't just... You remember when Jesus went into heaven and the disciples were gathered around and he ascended up into heaven and the disciples kind of stood there kind of... What did the angel say? What are you doing standing here looking? Get busy. So while we're waiting, we need to get busy. And part of our getting busy is our attitude. And our attitude is to be always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks. Let's pray and we'll get started and see how far we get today. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this passage of scripture. I thank you for the message I heard recently. That um, A very brief message is focused on these things for the message you gave throughout the week. Lord, I had a blessed time preparing it. I pray it might be a blessing to us again this morning. Lord, I ask that you... Lord, Teach us what we need to know about always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks. Be with us wherever we are, Lord, several places. Lord, we do beg you, Lord, to allow us to meet together again, um, perhaps even as early as next week. We could begin to fellowship together again. Um, But in the meantime, thank you for the technology to meet as we are this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, first of all, the first thing he says is this. He says, um, verse 16, Always rejoicing. Always joyful. I, I, I don't know about you and those who know me. I, I wish I could be a person that could be fake. But I'm. I, people tell me I'm probably the most transparent person they've ever met. When Roger's not happy, you know Roger's not happy. When Roger's happy, you know he's happy. When Roger's up, you know he's up. When Roger's down, you know he's down. I can't fake joy. I, some people can do it and I'm amazed. I can't fake joy. So the truth is here that we we need to have an attitude of always rejoicing. Do you and I rejoice in the Lord always, as Paul wrote? And again, I say rejoice. One of the first courses I've learned as a believer was a simple little course that went, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Alright? Always rejoice. That's what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. But sometimes... It is really hard to rejoice. It's hard to do it because sometimes life isn't that pleasant. And sometimes we're hit with battles and we're hit with bad news and we just don't know how to handle it. I think of two particular times in the last several years where I was smacked in the face with things like this. I remember, goodness, it's been close to 10 years now when on Christmas Day or during our Christmas service, our daughter, our son Matt and his wife Michelle were with us and uh, we got a phone call from their house that we need to come over. Uh, Michelle had fallen um, and as soon as the carol service was over, Matt and I went to the hospital. We sat with one of the most eminent, um, uh, what kind of specialist was she? Hematologist. Hematologist in Europe happened to be in Ireland and she told us then that Michelle had a type of leukemia that could kill her before Christmas and this was like on the 20th of December. And it was so bad they had started her treatments without anybody signing any papers. 
and to sit there and watch my son and the look on his face when he was told he might lose his wife in four days. I have to tell you, I had a hard time rejoicing. I had a hard time rejoicing for a long time after that. Um, remember when our daughter phoned us and said that she had, had, had sensed a, a lump in her breast and she had stage 3 breast cancer and we were 4,000 miles away. How do you rejoice in those times? How do you rejoice when um, you lose a job? How do you rejoice when you have family struggles? Well, how do you rejoice when your family's falling apart? How do you rejoice when your family is part some of your family is is not living for the Lord and not doing the right thing? How do you rejoice in these situations? You know what though? We need to find a way to sense that joy. How do we rejoice? Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. If we're not walking in the joy of the Lord, we're not going to be strong enough to serve God because our, our, our lack of joy is going to drag us down so we can't serve God. We have to be living this joyful life or, or our lives are going to be joy or our lives are going to be a disaster. We can't serve God without joy. We rejoice in the good times. Um, and then we, we rejoice in the severest of trials. It's easy, it's easy to rejoice when you get a new job or you get a raise or um, you fall in love and get ready to get married or you're going to have a baby or those things. It's easy to rejoice then, isn't it? It's easy to rejoice when the economy is booming and your job is going well and your family is getting along. It's easy to rejoice, but it's not quite so easy to rejoice when times are tough. But we know that's God's desire for us. James wrote in the beginning of the, the beginning of James, he wrote, oh, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of multicolored trials. When you fall into diverse trials, count it all joy. All joy. Not just a itsy bitsy bit of joy, but he says, count it all joy when you fall into these trials. For the trying of your faith is going to work patience, and patience, when it has its complete work in you, <coughs> will, will mature you and make you perfect in Jesus Christ. Trials have a purpose. And we need to rejoice in those purposes even before we can see the result. Um, one of the greatest one of the greatest examples of, of of trial was when my little sister Phyllis was young. She was a baby. Um, her feet were turned in, and they we they didn't have all kinds of fancy braces and things in those days. They built a device. They went to Stride Right and bought her a good pair of baby shoes, and they nailed the baby shoes to a plank, a, a one by two plank. And before she went to bed every night, they had to twist her legs outward, put them in the in the shoes when she went to sleep. Um, I remember the agony. I still to this day, goodness, we're talking. Phyllis can't be close to sixty. <laughs> yeah, fifty-five, fifty-six years ago, I remember putting her in bed. I remember the nights when I helped it. I remember actually myself. My mom said, "Get Phyllis ready for bed," and I remember myself taking her feet and turning them outwards and putting them in the shoes. And and but you know what? She did that faithfully. Mom and mom and dad were faithful at making her do it. And today she walks without any kind of of, of problem. It worked. It was trying, but it it fixed the problem. And that's what trials are meant to do for us. I know other people who didn't, who couldn't stand to watch their children suffer and never did it. And their children are adults walking with a limp or with a twisted foot today because they couldn't stand to watch their child suffer. Rejoice in trials. Rejoice always. Um, and you know what? Another thing joy does. Joy is good for everybody around us. 
And joy is good for us. It's our attitude. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart does good like medicine. Um, and the rest of the verse talks about the, uh, I'll paraphrase it here, that a, that a, a sorrowful heart brings, is like breaking the bones. Joyfulness does good for me, and it does good for others. I've, since I looked at that verse this week, I've had a, it's been a kind of a good week. I've enjoyed preparing this message. I've enjoyed trying to apply some things. And I found myself when I was out walking, I'd often get, when I meet my friends, I'd often jump right down into the, this thing is so bad, we're never going to get out of it. And here I am, a Christian, talking about all this stuff. And I, you know, I realize I can't have that kind of attitude. I need to be rejoicing in what God is doing. And somebody made a good point this week about living in Kildare during a lockdown when we can't leave the county. And um, and, and people, oh, we can't even leave Kildare and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and people complaining about it. And then somebody else said, you know what? We're lucky we live in such a beautiful county. If we have to be locked down any place, it ought to be Kildare. We've got places to go. We've got hikes to go on. We've got canals to walk on. We've got all kinds of historic activities. So we need to just... So, how do we do this? We complain about being locked into Kildare, or do we discover our county? That's the kind of attitude that that that, that Solomon is writing about here in the book of Proverbs. A joyful heart does good like medicine. It's medicine to my own spirit. It's medicine to other people's spirits. And I watched them this week. Um, I had one. I have one friend who was particularly down this week about all the restrictions and what it was going to do. And his whole spirit changed as we start talking about it. Doesn't have to be that way. So rejoice always. Rejoice evermore. As we wait for Jesus to come back, we need to be always rejoicing. And then verse 17 says, um, I think that I think what I, I think somebody told me one time, this is actually the shortest word in the Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible in Greek. Rejoice always. It's just one little word. Rejoice always. Always be in a state of of no. No, no, I'm sorry. Pray without ceasing. That's it. Next verse, verse 17. Rejoice evermore. Uh, somebody, I, 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 I don't know Greek, uh, but pray without ceasing is supposed to be the shortest verse in the Greek Bible. Um, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? We used to joke about that, pray without ceasing. So what does it mean? When I go for a walk, I've got my eyes closed and I'm praying and I'm bumping into stuff. Pray all, we can't always be praying. Literally. I mean physically. It's impossible. I shouldn't be praying um, necessarily that kind of direct, our God and Heavenly Father kind of prayer when I'm driving down the motorway. Okay? But pray without ceasing is an attitude of prayer. This is a life prayer. It's that we're constantly in communion with God. Whatever we go, whatever we're doing in communion with God. Um, It's the answer to our worries and our fears. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this. Be careful, and I use that word because I like the old King James word there. Don't be full of cares. Most modern translations say be anxious for nothing. But I like the word careful. Don't be full of cares about anything. But in everything... With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that amazing? We have an attitude of thanksgiving. There's so much. um, I'm sorry, I keep getting off track here. Pray without ceasing. I keep keep jumping. I keep jumping track. we need to pray in every, in every situation with prayer and supplication. We need to be praying about everything. Men are always to pray and not to cease or not to faint, the Bible says. 
Prayer Without Ceasing says that we keep on praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. We don't give up. It's like the woman at the table um, who was praying to Jesus and using the example of dogs at the at the foot of the table and eventually they're, they're, you're going to toss them some scraps and that's all she was asking and Jesus blessed her because of her persistence in praying. We don't stop when God doesn't meet our schedule. Don't stop praying. There have been situations I've been praying for, we've been praying for for many, many years. There's things we're praying for right now. We've been praying for for weeks or months, even years sometimes. Um, you have, I don't know, people have children, we have children who are erring or we have friends who need to be saved. I remember one of the, one of the most blessed stories of Pray Without Seizing was Phil and Elaine Carter, a couple of the church in Alabama. Phil was a pilot. He had his own little plane. And every, every time we had a prayer service, Mrs. Carter asked for prayer for Phil's salvation. Did not miss. Um, and eventually, he took off one day, and for no reason at all, his plane smashed to the ground. He was only a few feet off the ground. He wasn't hurt. And yet, it took to wake him up. And he got saved. I remember my pastor, Pastor McLaughlin, Every single service, every prayer time, he says, pray for my mom and dad to be saved. And years and years and years we prayed for his mom and dad to be saved. Decades we prayed for his mom and dad to be saved. And he, he, he never stopped. Pray for my mom and dad. They need to be saved. Pray for my mom and dad's salvation. And all of a sudden we got word that his mom and dad had been saved. We don't quit. We keep praying. We keep our focus. We pray without ceasing. We pray about our needs. We pray about the things before us. Um, so pray without ceasing. And then the, the, the last thing um, for in verse 18 is, and everything, give thanks. Um, give thanks in every situation. Give thanks for everything? Everything? We're to be thankful for everything? I'm supposed to sit there with my son in the in, in, in Tala Hospital and be thankful that my daughter-in-law has leukemia? I'm supposed to be thankful with my daughter, our only daughter, rings and says she has breast cancer? I'm supposed to be thankful? I'm supposed to be thankful when I go to my doctor and he tells me, almost exactly five years ago, by the way, he said, I need you to go to A&E immediately. Don't, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Can I get my wife? Well... If you don't get out of the car, that's how serious it was. And you go in, and all of a sudden, I find out on Friday that I've got I've got three blocked arteries in my heart, and 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 I'm supposed to be thankful that I'm going to have a major bypass surgery. I'm supposed to be thankful when when you lose your job. You're supposed to be thankful when 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 your kids get sick. Give thanks for everything. Give thanks in every situation. Colossians chapter two verse six says, "We are to be abounding thanks, abounding in thanksgiving." Colossians three fifteen. Uh, let me read a couple of these here. Bear with me. Hold on, hold on. one second. Colossians chapter three verse fifteen. Okay, uh, there. Colossians 3.15. Okay, bear with, sorry that that's this open. I meant to put these in my notes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. 
And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and to which you are also called in one body, and be you thank be thankful. God expects His children to be thankful children. Uh, I want you to read one more Ephesians chapter five, verse three and four. Um, Ephesians five, verse three and four. Uh, talk about a challenge here. No, that's not right. I've lost that one. Sorry. Um, if somebody can find the verse in Ephesians, it says, being thank, um, giving thanks for all things, giving thanks at, at, for all things at all times. Uh, and the verse, I mean, that, that's as clear as it can be. 20. Verse 20. Ephesians 5, 20. Yeah. All right. You want to read it out for me? Mm-hmm. Nice and loud. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always in all things. That doesn't leave any room, does it? Giving thanks at all times for all things. And honoring God through our thankfulness. Our children, our grandchildren, are not always thankful when we're teaching them a lesson, are they? They gripe, they complain. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry, I found it. It's right there. Ephesians 5.20 It's God's will that we give thanks that we, be, we give thanks always and all things. There's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Every, always in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. Now, I was talking about our children and our grandchildren. They don't understand when we tell them when they're very young why they can or why they cannot do something. All they think about is what they want to do. Isn't that right? Even Mateo over there, he's at an age now where his mom and dad are having to tell him no sometimes. And I'll bet you he doesn't like being told when he's told no. Because he doesn't get it. All he knows, he wants to play with this, or he wants to do that. And he's, what, nine months old? Yeah. Mateo's nine months. And he's, he, he, he does the same thing. My kids did it. My grandkids did it. You know, I use this example. Uh, knives are pretty, aren't they? Nice and shiny. They look like fun. And a kid just says, oh, that's pretty. Can I play with that, Mommy? And they reach and grab a knife. What are you going to do with it? You go, oh, that's okay. I care too much about you to say no. No? How about when they watch when there's a lovely fire going and the baby's reaching out for the fire? Oh, he just wants to he, he just wants to find out what that's like. But I don't 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 tell him no. No. He doesn't know. And the truth is we don't know everything about what God is doing. So we need to be always thankful. Three challenges. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait till next week. We're all because uh, I know it'd be another half hour, forty five minutes before I get done. What I want to challenge you to do this week, we talked today about Always rejoicing, always praying, and always giving thanks in every situation. Over the next week, I'd like you to do a little bit of homework for me. I'd like you to try to figure out how... Now, here's the question. How are we supposed to do that? How do we get our minds to the point where we are able to always rejoice, always pray, and always give thanks? How do we do that? Because I'm, you're sitting here, and I'm still sitting here saying, am I really supposed to be thankful when I find out that a child has cancer? Or I lost my job? Or a relative dies? Or, I, or whatever? Am I really supposed to rejoice over that? Am I really supposed to pray when God isn't answering my prayer? Am I really supposed to give thanks for all things, at all times, in every situation? question we're going to look at next week is how do we do this? 
What do we need to always rejoice, always pray, and always give thanks? And it's all based, I'll give you a hint, it's all based on our view of God. Okay? The answer is all based on our view of God. So, um, join us again next week. I, I, I don't know whether we're going to be here at our Jigginstown campus or whether we'll be meeting together at the hotel. So join us next week as we come back with this, uh, these three lessons. And then what do we do? What, how do we have to see God to always rejoice, to always pray, and to always give thanks? If you have thoughts during the week, you can text me or email me or WhatsApp me. Um, I, 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 maybe we, may, we may incorporate into the message as we come back next week. So Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your word. I pray that you might help us to find, Lord, to see the instruction that we always need to be rejoicing. Always. Every time anything happens, we're always to be praying about every situation. And we're to always be giving thanks. Lord, it's based on our view of you. And I pray, Lord, over the next week that uh, we take a few minutes aside and see how, see how our view of God affects our joy and our prayer in our thanksgiving. Thank you for our time with us today. We pray that you might continue to bless us and bring us back either here or at the hotel next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, prayer. Sorry, I forgot the prayer request. I do it every week. All right, prayer request on 16th of August. Um, Be praying for... Let me stop this thing.